It's really pretty diverse, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because also, uh, when, for example, obviously, if you have small prey, you have small snakes most of the time. But, uh, for example, I have um, very, it's not a big one for people who have rodent or something, but I have a, a, a species of insectarous snake. It's a bigger species that I have at home. Uh, it's um, a Cyclops major, and they're making the size of a corn snake, basically, some, some, sometimes bigger than that. And they eat earthworms, but the Canadian one, the big earthworms, and they come from Asia, and they are so much bigger than <laughs> all the other species. It's crazy. Welcome back to the Animals at Home podcast. My name is Dylan Perrin, and thank you so much for tuning in today. Today, I'm speaking with Charlotte, who is the human behind the Instagram account, Insectivorous Snakes. Some of you may have followed that account. I've shared her uh, page a couple of times on my stories. This is a topic that we have not covered before on the podcast at all, and that's discussing invert-eating snakes, which is a real fascinating side to her pediculture, just fascinating side to snake ecology in general. Charlotte lives in France, which you'll be able to tell from her accent, and in the episode, we discuss everything from how she got into invert-eating invert snakes in the first place to how to care for them, some of the setups that she uses, the species that she cares for, how she actually keeps and raises some of the feeders, which is you know crickets and snails, and uh, a lot more. We also also discussed a book that she's currently working on, which I'm hoping she continues to finish, which it sounds like she will be, and uh, potentially have that published in a year or so, which I think will be fascinating because, again, this is a very niche topic in her pediculture and definitely need more inform information on this group of snakes. As with many Europeans, Latin names just roll off Charlotte's tongues without any issues. So there are probably some Latin names that you will not be familiar with in this episode because this is a group of animals that we just don't talk about very much. So instead of me attempting to butcher them myself, I will do my best to make sure that in the video version of this episode, so whether that's on Spotify or YouTube, that we actually have photos of the specific animals that Charlotte's, Charlotte is talking about to make sure it's clear. Because uh, if you've not heard these species before, then you may just not recognize them when you hear them. So if you are confused at any point, if you're listening to just the audio version and you're w wondering what specific species we're talking about, because as, as I said, it, Charlotte can easily say these words without having any issues and uh, you don't want to hear me pronouncing these words. Go to the YouTube video if you find yourself lost or trying to figure out what species we're talking about because hopefully I'll have a photo of them there. And I think that is all I'm going to say before we jump into this one. Enjoy the episode. Cool. Well, Charlotte, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for the invitation and uh, nice to meet you because I never see you before. So thanks for to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's nice to meet you as well. And you have a very unique Instagram page in, in the herpeticulture space and I, I'm very much looking forward to kind of getting into this world of uh, insectivorous snakes and and you know some of the smaller species. Everybody knows who everybody who listens to the podcast knows that I have been on this tirade lately of kind of promoting smaller species, and I think that a lot of the animals that you work with fit in that. But uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. But why don't we just tell tell us a little bit about your history, kind of where you're from, and uh, your your history with keeping reptiles and animals? Yeah, so I come from France. Maybe you can hear that with my accent. And um, yeah, and I I, I was I'm born in Paris, and now I live in the south of France in Bordeaux. And uh, it's a very cool area for reptiles. I can say that because it's not too much um, warm or not too much cold. So it's very, very cool for reptiles. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm into the reptiles hobby since 12 years or something like that. And I started uh, just 
close to directly with the insectivorous snakes. I started like everybody with a corn snake, you know, and uh, but uh, I, my second snake was uh, a um, snake very common in the USA. It's a uh, it's Storeria decayi. I think it's the brown snake. I think in 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 uh, in, in America, and uh, I'm very sorry because I will use only scientific name, and uh, because in France we are really more more used to them and not the common name, so I'm uh, a little bit sorry. No, uh, no, no, so that's, started, that's totally fine. I'm st- uh, started with uh, this species, and it's you know an amazing one in my opinion. I was really more into uh, since now uh, colubrids. Because I love the shape and the activity of them, you know, the, well, the active mode and everything. The big eyes, the big head. Uh, it's very beautiful, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, uh, but uh, you know, all these insectivorous snakes are very rare in, uh, um, in Europe. And uh, for example, the Storia that you have in uh, America, it's very, very rare in Europe. Really, really, it's very difficult to have them, but uh, like they're just so not, they're just not common there at all. Yeah, no, not common at all. Yes, and uh, so I started with them, and after yeah, directly I I thought okay, I love them, and I I love this type of snake, so I, w- I want to know more about them, and when I wanted to to learn more things about them, I discovered that. In general, about this type of snakes, it's very difficult to have information and everything, and uh, that it's a kind of a niche and uh, not a lot of documentation. So I was very, very more into them because of that, because I was curious and I wanted to discover more things. Uh, for the story, it was a little bit more easy because, as I can say, it's more common in America, so I can find some documentation but you will uh, you will see after with my other species it's not the same it's not the same and uh, um, if I can do that just in advance I will say insectivorous snakes most of the time but it's false the it's they are invert- invertebrate eating snakes so I'm sorry in advance I saying insectivorous snakes to be more short <laughs> but I but I think everybody can understand. <laughs> Yes, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, it's funny to think that you, you would think that they would be more popular. Maybe we can t- kind of talk about why they might not be as popular, with whether it's sensitivity and whatnot, in, in a little bit. But it just seems like, you know, we're, we already have this hobby that's used to feeding off insects to lizards. So we already kind of have these established populations of feeder insects, and that's just part of part and parcel of keeping reptiles. Mm. And it's just so funny how foreign insectivorous snakes are to, to, the, to the hobby. It's, it's just kind of strange. Yeah, and uh, that's that was my was, was my question about uh, you. It, it is common to have this, for example, Storeria in captivity in uh, America. Uh, no, uh, I I don't. I I mean, it's hard to say how common. I I don't know actually how common they are yeah. to keep. I, there there are people I do know some people who keep, but I would say not that common compared to you know the the main staples okay. in the hobby. Okay, cool. I see. Because you have a very, very, we have a lot of species amazing for insectivorous snakes in America. I'm very jealous if I can say that, because my second one was a Chionactis uh, occipitalis, and it's also a snake. Mine come from Nevada, and it's a, like a sand snake, 
Nope. And it's an amazing one too. And you have also the, the Adophis and the Ophiodris. So you are, you are very lucky in America. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, maybe they'll make their way over to Europe at some point. And oh, I mean, I guess you already have them. So maybe you will help go to uh, towards making them more popular and because I know you're working on some breeding projects with them as well. Uh, but before we get too deep into that, because I def- obviously want to jump back to that, uh, we, we were talking before we hit record that you're also working uh, on a zookeeper license and, and yeah. I, I think that was sort of linked to a, a reel that you had posted on Instagram, maybe uh, I, I, was it in the summertime, just showing you interacting yeah. with primates and, and some lemurs. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I'm uh, working to have my zookeeper license at the moment, uh, be, not because I want to change my job, because I really love my actual job. It's uh, because I want to have my monkey license. Uh, and uh, in France, for uh, having the monkey license, it's a lot of work, but it's very difficult to obtain because obviously monkeys in France are not uh, free. You can't have them like that. So I thought it was a cool addition to have my zookeeper license for my application. And also, it's, I'm really, really into all, all the studies in general, blah, blah, blah. So I'm, I'm, I really like to learn something. So I thought it was also a good idea for my hobby in uh, Insectivorous Next to, to know more things in general. And it's very interesting. So I hope I can have it before the end of the year. I started. I think not in September. So I hope in some months I can have it. And uh, I'm very happy because I will make an internship in a zoo for two weeks in December. It'll be cool. So how difficult was the just the process in general going through that course? Is it is it a pretty challenging course? Yeah, it's an online course, but also you have uh, some homework to do, some. Uh, you know, uh, um, appointment meeting with teacher to do. Uh, so yes, it's it's really really um, cool. Yeah, it's very cool and not easy. Yeah, that. And then, so the, that video of the lemurs that you had posted, uh, were those in a zoo in- environment that you were visiting, or? Yeah, it's. Uh, I posted many videos, and uh, yeah, one. Uh, I think the one that you speak, it's in a zoo in France, in Bordeaux. Um, and it's a very cool zoo and you can uh, be in, as a visitor inside the enclosure of the lemur. Oh, wow. Okay. So that that's yeah. actually just what you can do if just a regular patron that comes to the zoo, they're allowed to have that experience. Yeah. yeah if you come in France, you can go there and you can uh, yeah, be with the Makikata and the other lemurs, yes. And, and so, sorry, was your goal eventually to be able to keep your... Uh, a primate at home is that is, like, I know that's what you're saying that's why you want to get the zookeeper license but eventually is that actually we actually pull the trigger on something like that yeah uh, uh, because I would like to have one species particular and uh, of monkey the slow lowest. but also um, when you ask to have uh, an application for monkey you need as it's the same applications for the uh, reptiles prohibited if I can say that because we have a, a part of our reptiles who are under license in France for example, the weak one, the dangerous, the venomous, or the giant one. So I, w- I would like to have also more uh, snakes and uh, who are under license just because they are uh, protected, if I can say that. For example, the Diadophis American one, it's under license in France. So and it's not dangerous at all. 
um, but I would like to have them. So also, I, you know, I, I thinking like, okay, uh, I need to make my application for my snacks. So why not add monkeys inside? You know, so yeah, like that. It's uh, I don't want to lo- uh, to lose time. So yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, what what about a slow loris is attractive to you? Uh, um, yeah, because I'm very very lucky uh, to have the people around me and one person around me in particular that I'm very close to. I have uh, an amazing uh, yeah loris, and uh, yeah, it's and I, I'm li- in love with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've I've heard one other pe- person talk about a slow loris. Besides, you know, just basically knowing what they are. But uh, there's an uh, another podcast on this network, Project mm-hmm. Herpeticulture, yeah. had somebody. I'm not sure if you listened to that episode with Ben from Un- Unseen Diversity, and he kind of got wrapped into some animal trafficking, and, you know, kind of into the black market, yeah. which was not good. He ended up getting in trouble for it, and it's a, it's, you know, it's a it, yeah. it was a happy ending to the story. But part of that story is him like stuffing. Uh, a slow loris in his pants, you know, yeah. in Asia yeah. to try to get it home. Yeah, yeah, slow loris have, have something different. I was really not into monkeys at all before, but when I came from to his house, I I discovered them, and it was yes, uh, a deal breaker for me. Yeah. And so, so let's get back to to the snakes because you you'd said that yeah, yeah. you know after your corn snake you picked up your your first insectivorous snake and uh, can you say the species again? I know the common name was the was the worm uh, like worm snake or whatever we call it, but what was the Latin name? Uh, uh, you mean the first snake that I started, the Storeria? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's the bronze snake, I think, in America. I'm not okay. sure. Bronze. Okay. And, and so what what about it immediately? Was there something that attracted to you about just the, the, the we'll call it like the general class of uh, insectivorous snakes or was there, uh, was it something about it? Uh, so insectivorous snakes, you have, in the insectivorous snakes hobby, you have a, a lot of different colors. So it's not one color especially who attracted me. It's, I was more in the, um, uh, in relation in this uh, shop in Paris, we have a very famous shop for reptiles in Paris, and they had this species, and I was, you know, in love of the first sight when I see them. So I started with that, and after some researches, I was, when they had another species, I started with them too, the Chionactis. The, it's a bonded snake, I think, in uh, maybe yeah, something like that, shovel bonded snake in America. Um, and so I, I took them and after it was like over, you know, the other snakes didn't interest in me, the more normal one, like if I can say that, because yes, the first things it was, I was just very, very curious about these snakes, very uncommon. And uh, when I don't see any documentation, I, I want to know more. So like that, I, uh, uh, I started to work it with them, and also uh, after I had, I think, my parias, I think, and after my, after my Apopeltura boa, Cyclops major, and uh, Scolicophis and Erenis. So um, it was, yeah, it was kind of over. I was, I was just more in love of them, and um, and since now I, I working with them also to finish my book because I writing. At the moment, a book about insectivorous snakes. So, um, if I uh, work with them, it's also to finish my book. Yeah. Okay, that's amazing. And mm. 
and as far as I know, it sounds like the the couple of species that you started with were maybe more general uh, insectivores as far as you know what they could eat, whether it's like crickets or spiders or whatever. And then I know a few of the species that you had just mentioned. The um, what, what was the what's the the genus for the boas? It's like the slug the slug eating boas. Uh, yeah, it's Aplopeltura boa. Aplopeltura, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. so I mean, there's a few of those that become more specialized, right? As you're, so did you start with more generalist and then work your way towards things that are like specifically eating snails or slugs or even you know centipedes? Yeah, I, it was still the beginning value various diets because the staria eating earthworms, the kinectis eating cricket, and after yeah the pareas eating uh, snails, and uh, I had also, uh, also another species of staria. We eat only slugs, so it's even more complicated. Uh, and after Apopeltura, we eat, you know, the the snails too. But I think the most difficult diet one is the scolecophis because they eat scoloponda. So it's really, really more complicated to feed them. So is that just like millipedes and centipedes? Uh, yes, you can feed them with that, but... Uh, they come from Nicaragua, so in Nicaragua they eaten the big scolopanda, you know the, you know the um, not funny one, if I can say that. So uh, yeah, it's not really easy because yeah, they are more into those animals than the European millipedes of ours, you know. So yes, at the beginning it was not easy, but uh, it's a cool challenge. But an expensive challenge, if I can say that. A very expensive one because buying scoloponder and, you know, milped like that, it's if you have a group of scolecophis like I have, I have four, uh, it's like 100 euros each month. Yeah. And yeah. It, because you're buying them as feeders, you can't, have you tried starting a, like a feeder colony for? No, for no, no, because I, you know, I love, most of all, all the animals, but scolopanders, it's not possible. I don't want to breed them. It's, uh, I, I, I'm okay to stock them, you know, to, for feeding, but I prefer to order them every month because uh, it's just more uh, easy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, so let, let, let's talk a little bit about what what do you think makes this group of snakes good in captivity? Obviously, there are some some things like they're smaller and and maybe you know yeah. even you know feeding insects could be a benefit for some people. But are there other things that just jump out of that that you really enjoy about keeping a snake like invert eating snakes? Yeah, I think it's uh, very cool to have them in captivity because uh, it's they are they are not just so different. And if you are borrowing with one, for example, diet of snakes. You can have plenty of others, and also they eat really more frequent, frequently than the, eat, uh, the rodent eater. So if you want want to work more with them, because basically, uh, if you have you know a normal snake, I'm sorry to say normal, but you know what I mean. So rodent eater, um, you feed them like every two weeks, three weeks, every month. So at the end, you don't share the same you know like uh, and for, for me with my snacks i feed them every two days three days so it's really it's more work yeah totally it's really a lot of more work but at the end it's i have the feeling to share more things with them yes. 
Well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you listen to people who pretty much exclusively keep lizards, that's kind of the, that's sort of the feedback they, they give is that they yeah. love to keep lizards because they get that like, you know, several week or several time a week interaction with the animal where they get to watch it hunt or, or, you know, just interact with it in a way. And, and that's when we talk about rodent eaters or, you know, vertebrate eaters eating snakes yeah. that's often what happens too is either you don't get to interact with them as often because you're feeding them on an appropriate schedule or people tend to overfeed oh. them because they want to perpetually interact with them and then you have a snake yeah. that's obese so you know invert eating snakes is almost the best of both worlds where you get to feed them often and you're not going to make them overweight yeah 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 and the, the, the cool part also it's sometimes really less easy because yes you need to be more pre here just to take care of them also, they are really sensitive. It's not complicated snakes in general, but uh, they are really more sensitive. I'm very lucky, for example, in my room at the moment because I have the room. I don't know if you see well, but my it's stone on my on my wall, so it's keep you know my room very fresh because I have some species so different. Some of them uh, are come from the desert of Nevada, and uh, some of other come from you know the forest of Vietnam or China. China. So, um, for example, the snails eater, I don't want to speak about all of them, but most of them come from Asia uh, because you have also some, I have a species come from uh, South America, very cool too, the Sibon. Um, but uh, yeah, they like uh, uh, fresh temperatures. For example, I keep them at uh, 22 degrees maximum. So, so if you have, you know, a room more too much hot, for example, in the summer time, you can lose all of them. Uh, so yes, uh, they are really, really more sensitive than other species. And, uh, but uh, it's also what are the, the things that I like with them. Uh, and um, yes, for example, also those snails eater species, they um, eat uh, very often too, but uh, for example, they are really sensitive about the ventilation, you know, uh, in general. So I need to have some fans, you know, uh, computer fans on the top of the terrarium to ventilate the terrarium because they love to have a lot of humidity, but also a good ventilation because if it's not the case, you can lose them. Yeah, and and that's often the challenge with these like tropical species, right? People, it, yeah. it's very easy to make a high humid environment, but it's actually difficult to make a high humidity environment while having fresh air. So I can imagine that. So would you say those are like the two main parameters as far as what's causing them, you know, causes them to be quite sensitive is the temperature and just not having a fresh air supply. Yeah, I think it's that, and also uh, a good lighting. For me, it's something. It's like the key to have a good lighting. And uh, not uh, the temperature and the lighting, if you have those both parameters, I think it's going to be well. But uh, yeah, it's, I, I've seen a lot of people who don't give them, you know, the UVs that they need, because obviously when you have a rodent eater, some of people don't uh, give, you know, UVs because they don't really need, so it's, it's, um, it's a debate, if I can say that, nobody is... Uh, on the same uh, opinion, but so most of the reptiles keeper don't of the um, basic, you know, snakes keeper don't uh, give UVs to their snakes. 
And uh, but with the, with the insectivore, with the uh, one you need like it's like lizards basically. So you you need to give to them UVA, UVB, and uh, if you don't give them uh, the good lighting, I think they they're gonna die. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, like, like you said, if you're dealing with a snake that's eating vertebrate prey, you know, birds and, and rodents, they are going to be getting a good, usually a good adequate, no, I shouldn't say adequate, but they are getting a source of vitamin D through the, the organs that they're ingesting. And mm-hmm. uh, they can get by without UV. You know, obviously we do recommend that they add, people do add UV, but you can get by without it. Whereas an in, in insectivore snake, if they're not getting it through their the lighting, they're, they're probably not getting it at all. Yeah. Or do, do you dust the prey at all? What do you mean by dust? Oh, dust, like um, add supplements. Like, you know how some people, when they feed their lizards, ah, yes, they'll sprinkle. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. That depends on the, um, the prey. Uh, for snails and slugs and uh, hearthworms, I don't add calcium. But for crickets and, you know, uh, small spiders and stuff like that, yes, I, I put some calcium. Yeah. Okay. Um. W- I want to ask about the feeding experience, but quickly, just as you mentioned, the small spiders, is that maybe you could just quickly run through the, some of the prey items that you have at your home kind of as a, as a staple, like what, what you cycle through is like, I know we can hear some crickets in the background. Uh, yeah. So I assume you have those, those running, but, and, and some snails, I know you have a breeding uh, bin of snails, yeah. but are there some other things that you have in your, like, I'm very curious about the small spiders. Are those things that you just find outside or do you have like a setup to. No, for the spider, you know, I, I, I have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, food for snakes at home. So <laughs> it's enough for me. So for the spiders, I just buy some sometimes to to breeders. But uh, at home, I have yes, crickets, snails, slugs, and earthworms. Yeah. And for the for the cricket, I don't really like the noise, so I don't breed them by myself. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's fair. That's why I don't have crickets here either. I, I'm not a huge fan of the noise. Yeah. It, can you can you tell me the experience of feeding them? Because I imagine that's quite a different experience than you know tong feeding a, a rat to a you know a regular snake as we we've been calling them. Uh, I imagine there's a more of like a hunting element to this experience. Yeah, they are also all different, really. For example, the Kionactis, the one who eating uh, crickets, the sand snake from from America, they live under the sand, and uh, they. They feel when a cricket is on the sand and they jump from the sand like, you know, did you see the movie Dune with the giant worms? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's something like that. They come from the, the sand and take the, the crickets and go back in the sand. Yeah. So for this species, for this species particular, it's very cool. Also, for the snail eater, you know, it's something very, very funny because when you have um, a slow prey, you have slow snakes too. They are really, really not speed at all. They are just very, very slow. And they look look like, you know, um, yeah, slow lorries kind of. They are so slow and move so slow. And in one moment, they just take the snakes, but they eat very For example, for a snail eater, it's, very, it's a long process for them to eat because they they took the snail and they removed it from the shell. So um, a long fight between the snails and uh, the snake because the snail go back inside deep and the snakes pull it, so it's very long. So do they not ingest the shell at all? No, 
Oh, they don't. Okay, wow. I thought that they that they would definitely ingest the shell. But, You'd think that would be some like you know keratin or something. If you are interested, I can send you some videos of mine, and it's uh, it's very very funny, and uh, but very long. Yes. <laughs> um, and for the earworms, for example, they just um, uh, swallow the worms like a spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, you know, I know there's obviously, as you're mentioning, there's species that are specializing towards snails. And then are, are there some species that specialize j- towards slugs? Like I know we, there's the, you hear the common name all the time, slug eaters, but are those like, are snail eaters also slug eaters? Are there actual specific species that won't eat snails, but will eat slugs? Yeah, yeah. I, for example, you, my parias and apopeltura will not accept slugs. Yeah, and it's one of, of the big difficulty with all these species of insectivorous snakes. It's to find the good prey, because, for example, I can feed my some of my snakes of the snail eater with um, the common snails that you find in Europe, but uh, some of them accept acatina, you not know, the big giant uh, snails from Africa. I uh, uh, I buy a lot of babies and uh, I feed them with that. But some of them don't accept at all them, uh, those species. So it's very difficult to find the good one. Each time it's complicated. Yeah, yeah. And when you do feed, are you just feeding one snail at a time? Or like you say, you feed them every couple of days. Is, is each feeding just a single snail? Uh, I've, my, sna- my snakes, for most of them, live in group. So to be... It's the same with the rodent keeper. Some of them, you know, remove the snakes from the terrarium and feed them separately. You you can't really do that with insectivorous snakes because they are really stressed in general. So if you want to remove them from the terrarium each time for feeding them, they will never eat, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I put just a lot of snails, for example, in the terrarium and they, they do their life. <laughs> Gotcha. So they just the numbers dwindle over the d- next couple of days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but for example, um, an average of uh, snails eating uh, uh, eat each week for one snake, it's for an adult, it's like four snails each week. For yeah, sometimes more, sometimes less. Yeah. Are there any sort of large mistakes that you've made over the years? I think, you know, you've been keeping them for quite a while now. Is there anything that's like, you know, you said you're, you're talking about writing a book. Are there, yeah. is there a, do you have anything in that book that you'd be writing as far as avoid these errors? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, obviously I made some uh, mistakes and uh, when you do mistakes in the, this hobby, you, it's a very hard mistake for the animals because most of the time they died. So um, it's something that people forget most of the time. We don't work with objects, we work with animals. And uh, also, uh, I think you can imagine, but with rare snakes like that, most of my snakes come from imports. So they are really more sensitive. I breed uh, all of my species, but yeah, it is what it is. It's import snakes. So they are just different and more weak than the captive bred one. Um, it, you can have a debate about uh, import or no, but uh, and I feel uh, I totally agree with the, the fact that it's 
not amazing to have import animals. So uh, yeah, I'm totally aware of, about that. So, but yes, it is what it is. So when you work with some animals like that, you can have you can make a lot of mistake, and sometimes you don't know what's what happens. You know, it's like that. One day you discover snakes died, and uh, after years you understand why. But uh, so yeah, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, not okay, not a lot, but yeah, I made some. For example, at the beginning, you I didn't know about these ventilation things, you know, for the fan and uh, and stuff because uh, I the things that I'm saying to you today look like very simple and basic, but when I started, <laughs> there is no documentation at all about them. So you, the things that I can say today to you, it's just the things that I learned on the on the field, you know. And uh, so yeah, right now I um I I think I I I always did my best, but at the moment I think I I'm pretty more confident about uh, how I keep them, how I breed them, and uh, and the most difficult part, for example, of the breeding. It's not the breeding himself. It's uh, to uh, you know feed the babies when they're born. I didn't because I didn't. I don't know if you've seen my pics of the small snakes in my hand. Can you imagine to feed that? And uh, the, the the small snakes like that, the babies, the new the new, newborn one, uh, all of them eating every day, eat every day. Yeah, so it's a lot of work, really a lot of work. It's one day I had like 40 babies in the same time. It was two hours of work every day just to feed everybody, put some water in every, every you know, bowl and everything. So, yeah, it's uh, and after that, in a normal um, snacks uh, with rodent, you can. Uh, give them away at the age of two months, something like that, three months. But but it's something really different with uh, the insectivorous snake. Me, I keep them the first year at home because before the first year, I'm not sure yet if they will survive because they are really really sensitive. So when you're starting the babies, are, and by, by the way, are they? Is it a mix of some egg laying and some live birth, or are they mostly eggs? Oh, um, it's most of the time only egg, uh, only the storeria. The storeria uh, making a full baby born directly. Uh, yeah. Okay. And and so when you're starting out the babies, do they, is you know, because this can happen with rodent eaters, is, uh, you know, you just have to really take time for them to almost learn how to eat like a frozen thawed prey item, for example. But what is the experience? Like you're saying it takes like two hours to feed 40 babies. Do they... Do they have no idea what the prey is at first? Are you trying to introduce it to them by bringing it close to their mouth? Or is it just no. a matter of having to put little snails in every enclosure just takes forever? No, no. Yeah, I, I don't try to uh, show to them the prey on something. I just put the prey in the boxes, I close it, and I go after. Because uh, they, they are so weak, so you can't, you know, uh, assist feeding them, for example. You can break all the head in just one movement so it's really too dangerous yeah you can crush their head easily yeah me uh and also it's not my politic at home my uh i i see the things differently if they don't want to eat uh 
they just it's just like that. So if you don't want to eat, uh, I think if I think if, if they not eat, it's for a reason and because they are too much weak or something. So I don't um, push them out to be uh, to eat. It's yeah, just yeah. like that. You just sort of I let don't natural selection anything. take its place. Yeah, and also it's it's in the with insectivorous snakes. I know that I can lost half of the hatchling. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, man, that must be a crazy amount of work, especially because you got to commit to it for a year. What What are some of the the clutch sizes that you deal with? Uh, it's some. They can be so different. For the storeria, they can make, for example, twenty five babies in one time. But for the other species, it's more like four eggs, just four eggs and five. So if you lose half of them, it's uh, you don't have a lot of babies. <laughs> So it's even more, uh, you are even more disappointed when uh, it's a very rare species and uh, you have only four eggs and you know maybe two will just survive at the end. After all this work of years and years, sometimes you have two babies, but it's, yeah, it's just life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's, I mean, you have to be committed for that for sure. And th- there's this temptation, at least that I'm having, to group all of these invert eating snakes together, even though they, they really aren't related and you know, they're across the entire world. You, you, you have snakes from China to South America to North America, but for whatever reason in my mind, just, you know, grouping them into, to invert eaters, do they occupy a, a similar ecological niche or ecological range in the various places that they live? Or is it, is it pretty diverse? It's really pretty diverse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because also, uh, when, for example, uh, obviously, if you have small prey, you have small snakes most of the time. But, uh, for example, I have um, very, it's not a big one for people who, who have rodent or something, but I have a, a, a species of insectivorous snake. It's a bigger species that I have at home. Uh, it's um, a Cyclopsius major. And they're making the size of a corn snake, basically, some, some, sometimes bigger than that. And they eat earthworms, but the Canadian one, the big earthworms. And they come from Asia. And they are so much bigger than <laughs> all the other species. It's crazy. Yeah. And they eat, um, they are more predators than the others who are more, you know, uh, prey, <laughs> the prey. Because all the small snakes are just, uh, just some a lot of prey for every other animals. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So most of them are going to be more shy and timid, and probably more likely yeah. to hide. Where you know, once in a while, like the the species of uh, yeah, yeah, that are more aggressive when it comes to eating. You can imagine. Yeah, yeah. That that that's fascinating. And so, can you tell us a little bit about? how you set them up. I know, again, we're, you know, we're kind of broad painting everything with a broad brush as far as uh, invert eating snakes, but what, what do your setups generally look like? Uh, I work um, only with, uh, for example, uh, most, I don't, don't, not only, but for most of my terrarium, I'm, if I want to say it's like 90% of my terrarium, I have terrarium look like exoterra. Uh, because I love the top ventilation, but y- you, it's a, a struggle that a lot of uh, uh, reptile skippers don't know. 
but uh, even my idle snacks can uh, escape for the cable management of the Exotera. So I need to silicone every uh, hole like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the most, the, the bigger problem with insectable snakes is the escape. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's, I think it's, if I can speak about a big mistake, it's the escape. Each time it's the escape. Each time. Uh, I don't want to say each time, but most of the time, the mistake that you can do is the escape form. Yeah, so you got to imagine that they're going to sneak out of things smaller than you can even. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's just terrible. And when they are babies, it's even more crazy. For example, my babies, I put them in the cricket box. You know, the plastic cricket box, you know, that you, when you buy them in the shop, but I put them because they are more tiny than the size of the box. So it's like to keep, you know, I don't know, uh, a giant piton in a terrarium longer than him <laughs> for them it's like a terrarium yes and it's just a tiny little bin that is amazing and for the bowl of, of water i use you know the the top of the bottle the plastic bottle you know the yeah i don't know to, to say that in english but yes yeah, yeah just like the lid off of like the cap the cap off a yeah. water bottle yeah i put imagine the size of these little things for them it's like a swimming pool <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God, that must be stressful working with them when they first hatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what are some of the, you you had mentioned the one species from China. I I, I forget, I, I, the species name was Major. I forget what the, the genus species yeah. was. You said that was a little bit of a larger, kind of more corn snake size. But w what yeah. are the other kind of the larger, like on the larger end, when they, when they get to their full grown size, what kind of lengths are you looking at? Uh. I'm not sure to understand well your question. You, your question is about you know the different style, size of the different. Yeah, species. yeah, yeah. Like, but besides that, the ones uh, major species that you did say gets quite large. As, as far as the other species that you have go, are yes. how long do they do they get? Yeah, the, the cyclophus major making, for example, um, one meter thirty, and um, and my. Uh, most uh, tiny one adult making 19 centimeters yeah yeah pretty small yeah, yeah and are there are there species that you keep right now that you think that are that would make the best for somebody who's wanting to get into invert keeping like i'm sure there's different sensitivity levels and different difficulties when it comes to feeding mm -hmm. uh, do you have a list of a couple that you think are great starter yeah. snakes for this yeah, uh, I think the Storeria uh, are very good. The your American species, it's very, it's a cool one to start because you have don't have this struggle about the the temperatures, the ventilation, blah blah blah. They, they you can keep them like basic, you know, the hot point at twenty nine. Uh, they are really basic in the temperatures and everything. They're just earthworms, and it's a prey very easy to find in um, fish. You know, shop. Uh, what do you what do you call that? Yes, you know the the shop when to have all the stuff to fish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, yeah, fish a fish shop or a, a fish shop, an aquarium. Yeah. So it's very easy to buy to buy that. So I think the species is very easy to start, and also the Erenis. Uh, it's a species come from Balkan, 
and uh, they love hot temperatures. So it's cool and they eat cricket. It's very easy to find. And uh, they are very cool and they're making like 40, 45 centimeters adults. And they are pretty beautiful. Yeah. Hey there, I want to take a quick break to thank this week's sponsors. First, we have Exotics Keeper Magazine, which is a herpeticulture-based magazine out of the UK. Many of you are probably already familiar with them as we had their editor, Thomas Marriott, on a few weeks ago. And it is really a quintessential hobbyist magazine. When you flip through the pages of the monthly magazine, it really does, for me, brings me back to being a kid. I think many of us would have experienced reptiles and amphibians for the first time in either magazine or books. And this just brings me back to those moments. Exotics Keeper Magazine provides new news, stories, and information surrounding the care and welfare of exotic animals. And you actually recognize quite a few of the authors that write the articles within each issue. Both Roy from Project Herpeticulture and Liam and Ellie from Reptiles and Research have actually contributed to the magazine in the past. I know Roy has an article about Spilodes coming up in a couple of months or might already be out by the time you're hearing this. So I'm very much looking forward to that. If you are living in the UK for only a couple of bucks a month, you can receive the hard copy of the magazine, which I'm incredibly jealous of because there's something about reading a hard copy that is just so exciting. But for everybody else in the world or for those in the UK, the digital copy of this magazine is free. All you have to do is go to their website, put in your email, and every month the issue will be delivered directly to your inbox and you can flip to the magazine for free, which I've really enjoyed. But I hope that more of us can sign up for the digital copy and show EK that we want that there's enough interest to actually start having the physical copy go out to the rest of the world. So that's my goal with this ad. So very much go check them out. It's an incredible magazine that really does bring me back to being a child, and I'm sure it will with you as well. And the other way you can help support this podcast is by checking out the other sponsor, CustomReptileHabitats.com. That is the incredible enclosures behind me. They were sponsored by Custom Reptile Habitats. If you're looking for more information on them, you can head to the affiliate link in either the show notes or the YouTube description. If you click that link and you end up making a purchase, a commission comes back to me at no extra cost to you. And of course, that is a way you can help support this podcast. Back to the episode. And then during the day, you know, you had mentioned providing UV and whatnot. To, you know, obviously, there's probably some basking behavior, so maybe some like cryptic basking behavior. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't necessarily see them basking in the open, but are these in general fairly reclusive and hidden most of the day, or do you actually see them out and about active? Uh, no, they are active. Yeah, they are active. They are, they are shy, maybe if you move too fast, okay? But they are very, very active in general. You can see them a lot. Uh, for ex- and also, for example, the, all the snails eater, mostly the Aplopeltura boa, you can see them very easily. They are just in front of the terrarium very easily. Yeah. Never and hide. Yeah, the Aplopeltura boa, they just look so strange. I mean, their their eyes are yeah. so huge. Their their face is like yeah. almost like smushed in, like they have a very round skull. It's, they are my favorite, yes. <laughs> I, I love them. And yeah, they are very... Strange, but also if you if you, have, you want to have a snake that you can see, yeah, I think it's the most it's the perfect one, yeah. Big, maybe very not easy to keep for a long time, but if you want to watch your animals, it, yeah, it's very cool to have them. Now, what about lifespans? Is that something that you can even comment on? I'm not, you know, you haven't kept them. You kept them for maybe a decade. I'm not sure how many actual individuals you've kept for that long but i just i assume that these animals probably don't live quite as long as some of the longer metabolisms or snakes with longer metabolisms that are eating like a couple times a year but i but maybe you have an answer to that i don't know 
Yeah, it's easy to know because uh, I, I, I read some documentation about the um, the time of uh, the age uh, maximum in uh, in the wild, but everybody knows that it's different in captivity. I didn't read something very interesting about uh, this this in captivity. For the moment, I have a snake that I have since 10 years uh, at home and still in good condition, still making babies. So um, I hope uh, it will live uh, uh, a long time more. But yeah, I, I really think because they have a speed metabolism, they will not live long as, you know, the other rodent species. Uh, I really think they... More, the the reading that I um, that I had in my hands uh, speaking more about fifteen years old uh, and some for some of them even ten years old. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah that yeah. that's kind of what my mind was sort of reaching to as far as the number, probably somewhere between ten and twenty. But like you yeah. said, you never know until you know we keep them in captivity long enough. I, I yeah. don't know if you ever mentioned how many. You, you know, you, you, you've rattled off some of the species that you keep, but how many actual individuals do you think you have? Maybe don't include babies if you're working with babies right now, but as far as how many snakes you have, what, what would that number be? At the moment, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I can count, but uh, I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, all the species that I spoke to you, I have them. Uh, and um, yes, I, I think I have like 17, 20, but that's, this number seems to be so huge, but uh, you, it's important that people understand that they are very tiny snakes. So if I give a 60 centimeters terrarium uh, for a snake of 30 centimeters, it's like when you give to a piton of 8 meters a terrarium of 16 meters. So it's just, it just, really much bigger and uh, so they don't take a lot of space at my at my place it's very easy to keep them uh because of that too and also me they live in group so the the number seems to be very huge but they live in group of four uh five sometimes so obviously when you have a group of four uh animals it's the number of of uh, yeah adults growing up uh, very yeah, exactly. I mean, that's you've summarized exactly what I always say about keeping smaller species is that it's so much easier to provide much larger spaces for them. And on on your Instagram, you in the last maybe month or so, you did like a kind of like a little, not really like a room tour, but like just a real kind of flashing yeah. through your 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 snake room. Is that all the enclosures you have? Like, are all the snakes in those? Like, it yeah. only looked like maybe everything, like four or five. Yeah, everything is. Yeah, yes. And the big terrarium that you can see in this wheel, it's my Varanus terrarium. Yeah. And that's that real tall one? Yeah. Yeah. I have a Varanus resingeri, an old boy of 15 years old. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So yeah, it really doesn't take up a ton of space in your home. And like you said, you're providing large, large spaces for them, Even, but they, they're so small that it doesn't eat up uh, in your entire room. Yeah. And also I have uh, another snack, uh, not insectivorous because I am a Big fan of them. I've uh, this species since long time now. I'm a big fan of Colubur constrictor. It's the Rasser snake come from America. The black Rasser, I think. So I really love them. It's it's not insectivorous snakes, but 
it's my guilty pleasure if I can say that. My, my only uh, snakes who don't eat insects on every, uh, or invertebrate is this species because I'm in love with them. Mm, that is a great species. Yeah. Fast and very quick. And, you know, yeah. one of those species that you think, oh, yeah, there's lots going on behind the eyes here. Yeah. 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 And uh, with the temper and everything, I love them. <laughs> And uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, everything is um, in my room at the moment, and I'm really happy about that because I love. I think it's kind a of little bit the same at your place. I love to have my office with my terrarium in the back, and uh, everything under control in one room because I don't want to put them in every room of my apartment. I I love to keep the things very, you know, uh, in. Uh, yeah. Oh, I don't know how to say that in English, but when you want everything in the good order and put everything well, uh, yeah. Yeah, you want it to be in a controlled environment, yeah. right? So you. I'm a little have... bit maniac of <laughs> yeah. of the cleaning and everything. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm like that too. I like to have it all in one spot. It's just easier to do maintenance and everything, and. Uh, I know another thing that I had learned on your Instagram just briefly was, and I think you it sounded like you were going to write more about this in, in the book, was about raising snail colonies. And I, you'd mentioned it a little bit throughout the conversation today, but maybe can you walk through how to do that successfully as far as you know having a, a supply of breeding snails? You had mentioned the species. Well, you had mentioned that you know sometimes the, snail, the, the snakes won't take certain species, but what species do you breed at home as I far as the snails the, go? I breed the elix. And it's a, the European one and the really more common one that you can find, you know, in uh, your garden and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I don't want to take snails from my garden because I'm very um, aware about all the pesticides, all the toxic things that you can find outside. And mostly for snails, they can uh, keep them in, um, into them a lot of uh, toxic things. And because if they go in on your lettuce and if you put something not good on the lettuce, maybe the snails will survive. But uh, after when you give that to your snake, it's not good at the end. So I prefer to breed them uh, at home. I have um, my small one in my, uh, in my animal room. But also I have um, a big outside, uh, like a greenhouse of uh, four square meters uh, outside only for snails. Yeah, yeah. So, so what what does that look like? Is that a like are they just free roaming in this in a space outside, or do you have like containers of them in different sizes? Or no, as a, everybody is in the is in the greenhouse, and I put some uh, wooden plank, uh, not on the floor directly, but kind of you know. Um, yeah, I don't know how to say that in English, but yeah, they are not on the floor, but they are a little bit in the air. Like that, the snails can go under and be uh, glued, you know, under the plank. And it's better for them to stay like that, for example, for the winter, because if they are in the ground, they can have a lot of um, animals who, and, you know, other insects who can eat them. So it's really more easy to keep the snails like that. And uh, yes, yeah, they are very easy to keep, but in uh, inside it's more complicated because you, are, you can have a lot of uh, problem because if you put too much snails inside the same setup, you can have some 
disease um, and they can die easily. So you have to keep yeah. their numbers at, at a sort of a stable level then. Yeah. I, I For example, I take 100 uh, snails from my greenhouse, put them inside, but uh, and I'm making, you know, some... Um, uh, some uh, yeah work to go to the greenhouse to take 100 each time when I don't have enough yeah and then as far as feeding them I imagine outside they kind of are on their own but when you're inside are you putting something in the bin to make sure that they're eating or do they not really need to because you're going to be feeding them off right away uh, I, I feed them always because um, it's like uh, it's just like that. To it's better to feed the animals if the animals are in good condition. Your snake will be in good condition. It's also the keys. Uh, I prepare um, a special mix with some uh, things for the snails, for the crickets, and everything. For like that, they can eat very properly, and it's better for my snakes at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Are, are there any species that are kind of on your list of things that you eventually want to pick up or have imported to, to start working with? Uh, yeah, if I have a dream, you mean? Yes, yeah. Um, yes, I have. I would like to have deep sass at the moment. It's they come from uh, South America, and uh, yeah, I would like to have them, but they are under license, so that's why also I I working on my license. Right. And your American species, the Diadophis punctatus, it's a snake who have a, be- a red belly. I don't know if you. You see the species, but they are so fucking beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yes, so they are under license. It's kind of my dream. But uh, if I can add those both species, it will be cool. And also, uh, I would like to have um, one viper come from the south of France. It's mm. a very tiny viper, and it's like 30 centimeters adult. And this tiny viper only eats crickets. Really? Yeah. Wow, that, what, what species is that? Vipera ursini. Okay, wow, that's and really they, cool. Yeah, and uh, they are not danger, not very dangerous for for people. You know, if they bite you, it's like when a, a bee uh, uh, bite, um, you know. Stinger, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's not very dangerous, even if it's in the Vipera family uh, genus. But uh, yeah, and but they are under license in France, so yeah, I want them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And and yeah. so so that would be like if you got your license, that would be another species that you'd be allowed to keep. Uh, not under license, you mean? Mm, yes, I yeah, there is some, but they are just so impossible to find at the moment. Not impossible, but you know what I mean. It's, yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, they come from Asia, some subspecies of Cyclopsiops, for example, or yes, or it's more, yeah, some other species of Parias, not the basic one, but yeah, yeah, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, oops, I just hit my mic. It's a, it's such a, it's a very fascinating group of animals to work with. Like I said, mm-hmm. it's kind of somewhat surprising that they're not more popular considering that, you know, some of them are, as you had talked about, relatively easy to care for as far as snakes go it's not going to be super extreme and then as far as the the sensitive ones go it's you know i think many of more advanced keepers are used to working with species that have some sensitivities with them so it's not like they're totally out of the question so it seems like they should be more popular than they are when when you breed them are you selling them to people who like what type of person buys them from you are they are they kind of 
in, in our group as far as you know someone that's more advanced. Not, I shouldn't say advanced, but someone who's kind of in deep into the world of herpetoculture, or are they just like random people that want to start keeping snakes and decide to start with that. I'm very. I'm not easy. I think now when I I give my snakes, it was not the case in the past. One of the you spoke about mistakes, and uh, my biggest mistakes is to, I. One day I sold my babies because, you know, it's like that, just like that. But my adult died two months after, not my, no, just the, the mother. And um, after that, if you didn't keep any babies, you are just stuck again. Yeah. So um, I feel I felt very ashamed about that. And uh, so now I keep my babies very long. Uh, I don't run after money, also I don't want to sell my snacks. Uh, I want to give them to people very, very, you know, serious. Yes. And uh, for example, maybe I will shock some people if I say that, but the Skolek office, especially with Skolopanda, it's an amazing, really it's one of the most amazing, beautiful, beautiful species. They are red and black, and uh, they look like a false cobra, something like that. And they are very beautiful. And uh, I can tell you a short story. In the uh, in the in the 2016, I think uh, there is um, a lot of import of this species. So a lot of people uh, bought them, really a lot because it was not very expensive and very easy to find at, for, at this year. And uh, most all of them died because they are so complicated to keep in captivity because so difficult to feed, just so difficult to feed them. And, um, and because everybody wanted to feed them with crickets. But yes, maybe they can accept if you are lucky crickets, but they will die after sometimes because they are not the good prey for them and um, so when I had babies of, of these species um, it was very difficult for me to find a good you know future keeper for them because when people ask me oh uh, can you f- can I feed them with crickets I said no just no and uh, it and it's a very, very rare species, and uh, it's even more rare to have uh, captive bred babies for sale. But I was uh, one year. I didn't find any find anybody, and uh, all people seemed to be not serious at all. So after two months of having babies, I just give them to my colubar and the eating all of my babies because I prefer them to be like you know food for my snakes than to be um, in bad ends and uh, die slowly and uh, it will be very hurtful for them because as you can imagine to be fed with not the good prey for months and months and dying slowly it's just terrible in my eyes so right now for this species, I, I I stopped to breed this species because I didn't. It's just so difficult to find uh, serious people to, for for having this species, and it's just so sad because it's a very rare species, even more in, in captive bred. But I didn't find anybody very serious, so now I just stopped to breed them. It's just 
ridiculous. Well, that's yeah. a, you know that's one of those decisions that can be hard to make, but it, it makes yeah. sense. Like you don't want to have this guilt of continuously producing babies that are going to go to poor homes. And and, yeah. and just remind me, it, it's a, that's a species that eats mostly centipedes, centipedes and millipedes. Yeah, and also you know this species. It's also I told you at the beginning, it's an expensive species to to feed. Yes, uh, maybe it's not expensive if you if you live in South America and you can find them more easily. But if you live in Europe, it's just a, a nightmare uh, for your finance. <laughs> and um, so uh, I can't keep more than a group of four because yeah, it's just it's just still so fucking expensive at the moment. So How, like, wh- what sort of place are you buying those prey items from? Are are those are those inverts being sold to be pets for people or are you importing yeah. that? Like, how does that work? Yeah, I'm buying some um, for, to be pets. You know, it's captive bred. But I, buy, I bought only the, yeah, the, the one who have missing legs and stuff, stuff like that. Gotcha. The ones that can't be sold as pets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be, uh, yeah, you, you definitely don't want to be paying pet prices for feeders <laughs> that yeah. the math doesn't i mean it, it's kind of like when you go buy and I, when, feeder I, rats, when, when i when i say to people oh yes yeah, so you like this species okay cool but do you know the price to for feeding them and each time people are, are just like oh my god it's so expensive it's not possible yeah yeah but it's, it is what it is <laughs> yeah and, and as far as I, I know i had asked this at the beginning but I, I talked about potentially doing a breeding project for the feeders themselves, but that's you just don't want to do that, right? You don't want to. Yeah, I, I don't want at all. And also, it's not very worth it because uh, those species, yeah, those species of scolopes panda don't breed uh, enough uh, for me. So I will need to buy some anyway. So I prefer to not stock uh, any of them at home. And also, I'm, I mean, I'm a little bit, it's not afraid of the world, but yeah, even after years, I'm not used to this scolopanda. Yeah, they, they are a little creepy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. but but definitely 100, 100 euros a month is a, is a big food bill for, for a tiny little snake. And, and also, um, I had a lot of uh, cost of veterinary with this species because they fight against scolopanders. So you, as you can imagine sometimes it's very bloody. Yeah. Really? So that, yeah. so how, like how large of a prey atom would you offer? Like, like give me an example of the difference between the, the snake and the actual inverted snake. The snake making like 50 centimeters, sometimes 60. Okay. And, uh, uh, I give a prey of, yeah, 10 centimeter. Okay. So yeah, it's a bit of a battle to get it down. Yeah, and uh, some for some of them it's very easy, but one of my male it's just <laughs> it's just very good for hunting, I think. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So- and uh, it's an interesting thing about the insectivorous snakes. I never seen, and by never I mean never, one of uh, the this insectivorous snakes all of. All of my species will eat dead prey. They only eat lively prey. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So the, that that hunting response is a, is a yeah, major part the of their hunting. It's very necessary for them. Mm. 
So, because it's also a point because you think, oh, maybe I can have a lot of scolopono in my uh, fridge or, you know, snails and everything. It's not possible. They need to end. Yeah, it's interesting. And especially, I mean, the difference between a live snail and a dead snail doesn't seem very significant considering how slow they move to begin with. But I guess the snake knows, right? It's it's not... Yeah, and also the the snakes will uh, will just eat the snails if he is out of the shell, you know, in the right. uh, and take a walk. If I can. Uh, if the snails is uh, inside the shell, the snakes will not hunt it. Right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That is very fascinating, and it just it, like I said, it's it's a it's a fascinating sector of herpeticulture that literally has almost no coverage it seems like so that's why your, your instagram page was i forget who sent it to me the person listening I, the person who sent it to me is probably listening right now so i so thank you for sending me charlotte's information because it's, it is like, kind of a fascinating like sector of, of the society or of our of our, uh, of our uh, hobby like i said can you, so as far as your you know content that you're producing you have uh, an instagram page that you share some information it sounds like you're writing a book uh what can you give us some timelines on that and and what type of content you were you're yeah. planning on posting on Instagram? Uh, I'm in, in Instagram since I think I don't know not very not so much times I think two or three years I don't know. Uh, before that I didn't want to be on social media uh, because uh, I, I I was on Facebook uh, ten years ago when I started. But I didn't like all this rush after the rare species about, you know, I, I, I had the feeling that people sometimes take species to be, I don't know if they like the species or not, but it's just to, to have, a, oh, look, I have a rare snakes, blah, blah, blah. And until a moment, and I have the feeling that some people are not passionate, really, they are just, they are just running after likes or stuff like that. So um, I just I just wanted to make my stuff in my room, just you know, to be, uh, yeah, with my animals and that's all. So I want and I I really wanted to make things for myself first. It's egoistic things, but uh, and also I had um, a bad story about uh, social media. Um, when I posted uh, back in the day on Facebook, I was not really, you know, I was not active at all, but sometimes I posted some pics. And uh, w- one day I, I had, um, because we are not a lot to have this type of species, uh, in, uh, as you can imagine. So if people have questions, they just send me some PM and I'm totally okay with that. It's, uh, I'm happy to answer to people. But uh, it was until a moment of, uh, you know, about the story, about the Skolik office, the rush in 2016. Uh, a lot of people contact me like, oh, my snake is, is dying. What can I do? Uh, oh, or they bought the species and didn't, they didn't know and they didn't search before how to feed them properly. They buy the snakes and check after. And... Um, I had a very bad feeling inside of me, like maybe it's because it's a little bit my fault because one day someone says, ah, I seen you have this species, so I wanted to have this one, so I bought it. And um, yeah, it was, in my head, it was so terrible, like because of me, some snakes died. 
So I just wanted to, I just delete my account and stop everything. And uh, I was close to stop even the hobby at this moment uh, because it was so hurtful for me to, to, to feel responsible of something like that. So uh, I, I, wa I was, uh, I'm in on Instagram since two years or something like that. And I, and I really hesitated to go back on social media. And it's my friend who said to me, oh, just come on, you can, you can go just to share some few pics. You don't need to, uh, to speak to people, blah, 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 blah. And uh, so now I'm back, but I'm just make, making few content uh, like before. But uh, on Instagram, it's really less, uh, you have less text than on Facebook, you know. It's something different. It's just more art stuff on Instagram. I have the feeling, so it's okay to share pics and and uh, I I didn't see the same bad things that I had in the past. So for the moment, it's okay. But if I see um, uh, you know bad things like that, I will. I think uh, I'm not. I'm not sure to if I can. Yeah, support that. You know because. Um, I really love my animals and those species. I'm I'm just super passionate into them, and uh, I'm doing really my best to making the things correctly. And uh, to hear that snakes died because maybe people will want to have my species, it's just so terrible. Mm. Well, at least your heart and your mind are obviously in the right spot. That's that's a, you can easily tell. You're not looking for social media fame or likes or whatever. It uh, you're wanting to share your passion without simultaneously sparking a mad rush for people wanting animals that they don't actually want, but they think they want because they want to have a rare species or an interesting species. And yeah. and I think that's that's pretty that's that's admirable that you did that. And I am very happy to answer the question of people, and because I really love when people are interested in those species. But I like when people making the things in the good order, just uh, checking the info before. Uh, for me, it's the, the principal things to do, and mostly with sensitive snakes like that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, also I, I, I was not on all the social media for a long time because um, on social media, I never, I never um, uh, show my face. And... Uh, when I came to, you know, this reptile shows that you can do uh, for, you know, giving some snakes, some hatchling, blah, blah, blah. I, yes, I had bad experience with people saying, oh, i searching insectivorous snakes. Do you know this guy? Because, you know, I was on the meeting point with, with the people and I said, yeah, it's me. Oh, no, no, but uh, no, I don't want to speak to his girlfriend. I want to speak to this guy. I said, no, but it's me. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, uh, and uh, one day I, I just didn't want to to give any snacks to a guy who didn't just didn't trust me after 10 minutes that I was the person that he wanted to see because it was not possible for him to, to think that I can uh, make the job that I can by making with them so after that I was kind of well yes uh, disappointed you know I was Oh, I just want to do my stuff and just leave me alone and that's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's obviously if if the account is anonymous and there's no name, it's an honest mistake. But you think once somebody says, no, this is me, <laughs> you, you just believe them because why yeah. wouldn't you? 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, because sometimes you have strange people in this hobby, but it's it's just everywhere. It's the same, you know, I'm working in video game industry and it's just the same. And uh, everywhere it's just the same. But yeah, me, it's just, for me, it's, it's a hobby. So I want to, the things stay like that just for enjoying myself. Uh, if I see bad uh, sides, uh, just not for me. I just want to make the thing simple. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely hear you with that. That's I, I'm very similar. My social media presence is quite minimal. It's just share the episode that gets posted and then go back into the weeds almost just because it, it I, I don't have as much energy as uh, maybe I did when I was younger to get into you know battles with people and things like that. It's just it's just yeah. the way it is. Can you um, t- talk a little bit about your the book or the writing that you're planning on doing? Because I think that's a really interesting thing as well. Yeah, I, it's a book. Uh, so, as I can uh, say before, I'm working in the video game industry. I'm a graphic designer. So, um, as a graphic designer, I like beautiful books. And uh, so, I, I wanted this book to be like a, a graphic book, if I can say that, an arty, kind of arty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's it just um, a, a book with uh, a lot of, um, of pics and, you know, art stuff uh, about all the species, one chapter, it's one species, uh, one genus. And uh, I'm trying to speak about all the species that I have. So, for example, for the parias, I'm making, uh, it's for the chapter parias, I have, I don't know, 20 pages. So I'm trying to have between 10 and 20 pages for each species or each genus that depend. Sure. Uh, because for some of them, I have a lot of species of the same genus. So I, put in the same chapter and uh, yes i would like to have a book of yeah more than 100 pages and and how far along that process are you uh at the moment i i'm close to finish it i started like one or two years ago i don't remember Mm, but uh, i I need you know more picks to finish it and also i would like to have my uh, species missing, you know, under license. And mm-hmm. uh, like that, I can finish my book. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah. I'm sure many people listening to this right now are wishing that they could have their hands on it immediately. So uh, I, I want to make sure that maybe it'll, I'm not sure if next year is on the, your goal for having it completed, but do you have any, once it does get completed, do you have an idea of how you're going to, is it going to be an ebook or is it going to, are you actually going to try to get it printed? I, I, w- I would like to print it. Uh, because, uh, you know, I like beautiful um, objects. If I can say that, like as a graphic designer, I, I want to have the, the object in my hands. And yeah, yeah because, yeah, and also it's kind of crazy artist stuff, you know, in my mind. Uh, by that, I mean, um, I will use only the best uh, way to print them, in my opinion. So very good paper. It's just, you know, uh, crazy, crazy things. Maybe, and the problem is maybe it would be a, a not cheap one because uh, I will, uh, I will not make any money if I sell it to people because I don't want to make money on on it. But uh, I don't want to lose money, and uh, I'm pretty sure uh, the book will be not uh, not cheap because I want only the best, you know, material and everything because I'm very picky on uh, all this stuff yes yeah well i think you shouldn't price it to a point where you don't make money because i think anybody 
who buys it should be willing to you know, contribute to your time and effort of doing it. And I think yeah. reptile people in general are used to buying expensive books. I mean, a hundred dollars for a book is nothing for most reptile people because most books are very thorough and, and, you know, lots of pictures yeah. and good paper and whatnot. So yeah. I wouldn't be too afraid of that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, at the beginning, I wanted only to do it for myself. But after sometimes, uh, because uh, my friend said, "No, but just so stupid to make to, to spend so much time and just for keeping for yourself." And uh, also, I, I think it's true. I I, I don't want to be egoist uh, and uh, people making maybe the same mistake as me. So if I would like, if I started now to have a book like that to help me, so I think yeah, I, I will. Uh, Sell it to people, but uh, yes, it's. I I don't I still don't know how I will do it for the moment. Maybe I will make also an ebook. Maybe it will be more simple for some person. But uh, uh, I'm I'm really into the beautiful object of uh, um, has to be a book, you know. And uh, for me, it's it's just so so a shame to have an ebook. Because I love books in general, and I, I think you lose something if it's an ebook. Yeah. Many keepers, reptile keepers, are in the same boat. Like Amy, you can see the books beside me here. Yeah, I guess the people I watching know. on YouTube can't, but you can because you're watching through a different camera. And I, that's just uh, people. People like that. They have. So definitely, you'll keep me posted, and we'll stay in touch about that because I'm sure there'll be people that will want to support you with that endeavor when you do get it done no rush when, when it does happen um it, it, did you write it in english or french i'm sure french no it's in english oh it's in english okay so yeah, yeah. that's even better for yeah. most people yeah yeah that's why i make it i make it in english because if i want to uh, after some reflection to to give it to a lot of to the people who will be, will be interested I just can't do it in French because, yeah, it's. I think in France we are just two or three people interested in insectivorous snakes, so it's just so stupid. <laughs> yeah, so, you want to yeah. have a, a little uh, broader market than just France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't run after the market, but yeah, maybe uh, I want to think to the others because it's just so egoistic to do it in, in French. <laughs> I'm sure people who don't speak French would have bought it anyway because, like I said, people like to own those types of things. It's just sort of a decoration, and especially if there's beautiful pictures, they can look through it. And those who are – you hear it all the time. People are, like, trying to get into a species, and they find, like, a German paper, and they sit down, they translate it just so they can get, like, a couple tidbits of information. But yeah. if it's in English, then I'm sure you'll definitely get people buying it. So you – oh, go yeah, ahead. Sorry. Oh no! I was just gonna say yeah, that you'll just keep me you'll keep me posted. You'll 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 let me know when, when yeah. we'll make sure that we uh, we talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, of course, I will keep you uh, informed. And also, maybe the only thing that I like with ebook, people can translate it more easily, uh, and it's less egoistic, maybe, and also cheaper for people who don't have the budget to buy an expensive book. Because yeah, if I only put uh, beautiful I don't want to say luxury materials but you know what I mean uh, because printing and everything it's very expensive if you want to put money on the table to have a beautiful object at the end it's just super expensive for example I, I'm making also a book about planes because yeah uh, I don't want to especially to speak about planes but uh, and uh, yeah for example uh, it's like if I want to make a single book, because if you're making 
many uh, books, it's really cheaper. But if I want to make only one, it's like uh, 200 euros or 300. Yeah. But uh, it will not be the case for this next book because I think I will uh, just print uh, to have some stock and like that it will be less expensive. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's probably even publishers and whatnot that might help with that. So maybe if you can always reach out to me because I have connections all over the place that might be able to help you with that side of it too. Uh, we don't have to talk about that right now, but uh, that's, thanks. yeah, that's, that's one of those world parts where you're like, I don't know how to navigate this. And I don't personally know, but I probably know people who could help you out. I, so will, I, I will send you uh, some pages of my book if you want to see. <laughs> I would love to. Yeah, I would love to. That would be awesome. And yeah, we, we can definitely stay connected on that. And I, maybe I could help you out. Um, Charlotte, is there anything else that we didn't cover today about insectivorous snakes that you wanted to mention before we wrap up? Uh, I don't know. I think it's uh, you covered most of everything with uh, your question. Um, but I think, yeah, we cover most of the subjects, yes. And uh, yes, if you have any question and if people have questions, uh, I would be happy to answer to everybody. Yeah. Can you let them know the Instagram page so they can go find it, just the, the handle? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, my Instagram page. It's Insectivorous Next, but uh, yeah, I will, I will send you, you know, the, well, you have my name, by the way, but uh, yeah, it's Insectivorous Next, yes. So it uh, fits in with the theme of our conversation today, and I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. And um, anyway, Charlotte, this was fantastic. I, we have not talked about anything like this on the podcast yet, where this is, I think this will be episode 182 or something. So out of all those hours of conversations, this is something that's completely brand new to the show. So thank you so much for bringing it to us and and thanks for being a guest and thanks for doing all the work that you're doing. And I, I cannot wait to see the you continuing to work and hopefully develop that book in the next year or so. That'll be fantastic. Uh, yeah, well, thanks uh, again for the invitation. And uh, yeah, it's it's my first, first podcast because, you know, I'm it's not I'm shy, but I'm like more wild kite. <laughs> I just make, love making stuff in my on my side, so it's taking for me a long time before to accept. Because yeah, I was not sure because yes, I I I'm not used to podcasts also, and uh, yeah, I I hope uh, it will be um, a pleasant. Uh, thanks again because uh, yeah, it was very very pleasant for me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that is the end of that episode. Charlotte, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. I know you were mentioning at the end of the episode that this is sort of a little bit out of your comfort zone. And I think I can speak for the listeners as well as myself and say that we're so happy that you decided to get outside of your comfort zone and come on the podcast because really this is a lot of incredibly valuable information that isn't out there. There's not a lot about this niche, this group of insectivorous species, invert eating species. And it's just been fascinating to hear about that. So, and I think also we're all very excited for that book. So not to put any pressure on you, but I'm sure that there are many people who listen to this who will want to get their hands on that. So again, we cannot wait to see that develop. Listeners, thank you so much for watching the episode or listening to the episode. Make sure you go give Charlotte a follow on Instagram. All the links and everything is in the show notes and the description. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do that at patreon.com slash animals at home. You can also support it by checking out the sponsor, Custom Reptile Habitats. Make sure you use the link in the YouTube description or in the show notes because that is an affiliate link, which means a commission comes back to me at no extra cost to you if you do happen to make a purchase which is a way that you can help support the show and if you are looking for any more information on the podcast make sure you head to animalsathomenetwork.com i will catch you guys in the next episode